This morning I'm going to preach on the power of our words and I'll be using two main texts, one out of Job, Job the fourth chapter, verses 3 and 4, and one out of Proverbs 18:21. About 10 years ago I used this little video clip and it shows and expresses the power of words and so I want to begin this morning with this video clip and if you'll take the lights down where they can see it. Folks, I want to tell you that is so true. When we change our words, we'll change our world. And however you speak, however you write, however you text, however you feed a Twitter account, or however you communicate, when you change your words in God's glory, for His glory, our world will change. Look at Job, fourth chapter. First verse 4. I'll come back and pick up verse 3 a little later. Your words have supported those who stumbled. You have strengthened faltering knees. That's a new NIV. New NLT. Your words have strengthened the fallen. You have steadied those who wavered. The message. Your words have put stumbling feet Stumbling people on their feet put fresh hope in people about to collapse. Now the second verse, Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. New Living Translation. Those who love to talk, those who love to talk will experience its consequences. For the tongue can kill or it can nourish life. And from the message, I put it on the front of the bulletin because it's so poignant and straight to the point. Words kill. Words give life. They are either poison or fruit. You choose. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, our God, for His love, His mercy, and...
they both endure forever. I want to share with you what Mr. Rogers did a while ago. Coming up here, Rusty did one of the most difficult things in the world. You know why? Because he humbled himself before God and before all of you to share a vital message, to admit that he was imperfect and that his imperfection and his sin almost cost him his family. H.H. H. Farmer gave a definition of power years ago, and I've used it a couple of times because it is so poignant, so powerful. Power is the ability to achieve purpose. That's his definition. You see, if, if your purpose is to pull a load of coal cars that go through Clifton all the time, then a, a riding lawnmower is not going to get the job done, is it? No, you need two and three and four and five diesel engines. If your purpose is to arrange antique glassware in an antique store on a glass shelf, then those diesel engines are worthless. You've got to have somebody that's got very delicate touch to do that. So what is our purpose this morning? What is our purpose in our speech? Hear me, young people. Y'all are in a crisis mode, and your parents are right there with you. Because of the addiction, and it is an addiction if you don't think it is, try doing without your cell phone for a few days. Try not texting. Try not using it. Ask your parents to do the same thing. When you sit down at a meal table, try to communicate with each other one-on-one. -on -one. No texting at the meal table. No texting and driving either, please. I can give you testimony after testimony, one right here in our own church who's lost loved ones because of texting and driving. By the way, it's now against the law to do that in the state of Texas. However you use your words, what's your purpose in the use of those words? Whether they're spoken in person Written, texted, tweeted, emailed, however you make them known. And realize, like the tube of toothpaste, once they're out there, you cannot take them back. So be careful how you use them. Old Job was having a bad day in this fourth chapter. To say the least, he was having a hard time. His children were dead. They'd all died. Seven sons and three daughters, all killed in calamity. Ten children, gone, just like that. His lands had been raided by the Chaldeans and the Sabaeans, and his livestock stolen or destroyed by fire or storm. Disease was racking and destroying his body with pain. His wealth, his family, his property had all been decimated, every bit of it. You know, when I read that again, I thought about all the people in the Carolinas this morning. And I thought about all the people out in California this morning whose homes have been destroyed by floods and fires, and some have lost family members and tornadoes through the Midwest, and I could go on and on about the natural disaster. Sometimes it takes some type of disaster for God to get our attention. If you read the story of Job, and I've read through that book more than any other book in the Bible, it is our oldest book, not Genesis. Y'all need to understand that. Genesis is the first book, but Job is the oldest book.
the story. The story of Job, he didn't do anything wrong, folks. He did not do anything wrong to deserve what happened to him. His wife was so frustrated, she told him just to curse God and die. That's in Job 2, actually. And he had three friends come along. Oh, they came to comfort him. Now look at verse 3 of Job 4. Eliphaz calls Job to think about. Think how you have instructed many, how you have strengthened feeble hands. Your words have supported those who stumble, and you have strengthened faltering knees. But now trouble comes on you, and you're discouraged. It strikes you, and you get dismayed. You know, Eliphaz came to remind him of how Job had helped hundreds, maybe even thousands of people with his own words and his own faith, and now he has disaster. And then what does he do? He accuses him. Folks, his other two friends did the same thing. They come to comfort, but immediately what they do, they start laying it out on Job that this wouldn't happen to you unless there's some kind of hidden sin in your life. There must be hidden sin in your life, Job. It's all your fault that all these bad things happened. Folks, our words have the power of life and death in them. And every one of us here has the power of life and death in our speech. If we can speak. If we can't speak, we have the power in sign language. Our words can give life or they can kill. They are either poison or good fruit. The choice is ours. They either destroy or nourish. Proverbs 12, 19 says, Truthful lips endure forever. Proverbs 25, 25 says, Like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. Proverbs eleven thirteen b says, The trustworthy person keeps a secret. Eliphaz's compliment you yourselves have done this plenty of times. Job, these are from the message, spoken words that clarify and encourage those who were about to quit. Your words have put stumbling people on their feet, put fresh hope in people about to collapse. From the New Century Version, your words have comforted those who fell and you have strengthened those who could not stand. Your words have kept people on their feet. Your words have made them stronger to keep them from falling or quitting. In everybody's life here this morning, there is someone in your life that needs to hear from you today or this week that you love them. Hear me. You don't need to just assume it. You don't need to make them assume it. You need to tell them that you love them and why you love them. Joel McKeever was a longtime writer for the Baptist Standard. And he told this story in one of his columns years ago about Eric Plum. Eric Plum entered the fourth grade, and he missed a couple of weeks of school because he had the mumps. His teacher was the worst kind of teacher, unfortunately. She's about to retire and probably should have retired earlier. She had got gripey and complaining, crabby. Nothing made her happy. She just endured the year. Worst kind of teacher. It seemed that everything that went wrong in the class, his teacher blamed him. Eric got the blame. She saw him as the chief person of her ridicule and her taunts. When he missed an answer in arithmetic, 
which was often, she would say, Eric is done. Eric Plum is done. Eric Plum is plum done. Eric's fellow students laughed. They were glad it wasn't them that she was belittling and berating and being sarcastic with. Needless to say, Eric got to where he hated school. Those of you that have been in the education process know exactly what I'm talking about. All it takes is one word to destroy a young person at the wrong time. He hated school until his sophomore year. In his sophomore year, he was studying English Lit, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. English 2, for those of you that don't know what that is. And they were studying Shakespeare. Have you ever gone and eaten lunch? What happens at 1 o'clock when you sit down? Some of y'all hadn't had lunch yet, and you're already doing that. <laughs> Studying English Lit and Shakespeare. And during the discussion on Shakespeare that day, Eric raised his hand during the discussion time and asked a, a poignant question, a good question. The teacher was amazed. He never asked questions like that. What's gotten into him? After he gave his insight into the Shakespearean passage they were studying, the teacher said, Eric, that's quite perceptive. Eric, that is really perceptive. He left that day. My teacher thinks I'm perceptive. He said all of his life changed on that one word. He no longer fulfilled the fool, the dummy, and the stupid person that he had been labeled as in the fourth grade. He finished the rest of his schooling with a lot of effort. He'd be the first to tell you he didn't graduate as valedictorian of the class, but he did graduate and did well. He said that one word kept me from becoming the loser I had become to believe that I was. I became a different student. Oh, folks, we have the power in our words, and God's word has power. God's word, Scripture calls it, it's a double-edged sword, able to divide bone from marrow, even thoughts. Yet God's word has the power to heal, repair, restore, redeem, to resurrect, to bring back to life, to mend, to comfort, to chastise, to challenge, and to change. On my office wall hang several degrees. People have said, Brother Jerry, you're dying by degrees. That may be true. But I'm proud of my degrees in my study. And there's a degree on there from Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary out in Mill Valley, California. And it reads, Doctor of Ministry degree, 1984. And it took me three years and a lot of writing on a typewriter. No computer. And rewriting. And rewriting. You know what happens when, when you make a mistake on a written page on a typewriter and it's up and you don't have a computer that you can negotiate. You have to type over the whole page. But what I'm most proud of not, is not just the degree, it's the man's name who signed it. His name was Dr. Frank Pollard. And some of y'all know who he is and some of you don't. Some of you never heard of him. Dr. Frank Pollard was born in Olney, Texas. One of four brothers. He was shy, somewhat reserved, maybe overshadowed by his older brothers and classmates at Olney High School. He went to Texas A&M on a baseball scholarship. And a man in his church named Claude Olney was his Sunday school teacher when he was 10 years old. And Claude led Frank Pollard to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said that's one of the greatest days of his life is when his Sunday school teacher introduced him to Jesus. Just like your 
you said a while ago, changed your life. Didn't it? Wow. I mean, changed your life. It's like Rusty said, when I gave the Lord all of who I was, my life changed and I was immediately healed. Well, while Frank was at A&M, he worked as a janitor in the Baptist Student Union building. It's called Baptist Student Ministry now. And when nobody was in there, had a lot of chairs, he would preach to the chairs. Y'all say, well, that's just crazy. I did it when I first moved here. I would come in here and preach to an empty auditorium so that I could be better at communicating the gospel of God of love. And during that time while he was there, he felt called by God to go into the ministry. But a lot of his classmates, a lot of his teammates, they said, you're crazy. How are you going to get up and preach? You're so shy. You're scared of your own shadow. He had one man back home that kind of arranged him to come back and preach at his home church, First Baptist Alton. And he got up and preached, and he preached his sermon. Most of the people went out the side doors and avoided him. But this one man, this one man named Beverly King came back and said, you did a good job. Work at it. Keep it up. Frank went back to school. There were times that he wanted to quit, times he wanted to give up, but every time he would think about that, there would, would be a card in the mail from Beverly King, one of the wealthiest men in all. Frank, keep it up. You're doing a good job. Don't give up. I'm praying for you. I love you. I support you. Week in and week out, those simple postcards would come or a call would come. Beverly King's words kept Frank Pollard on his feet. Now, I've had the privilege of hearing Frank Pollard preach a number of times, folks, and if you don't know who he is, he pastored four of our largest churches, pastored eight churches total in his entire career as a minister, four of the largest churches, First Baptist Church San Antonio, Shiloh Terrace Baptist Church up in Dallas, First Baptist Church of Jackson, Mississippi, he pastored there twice, which is very unusual. He was the main speaker on our Baptist Hour for over 20 years on radio and TV through Southern Baptist TV out of Fort Worth. He's the main one that answered questions, the main one that preached every week. For 20 years, in 1979, Frank Pollard, Dr. Frank Pollard, was elected and chosen by Time Magazine as one of the seven most profound preachers in the United States during 1979. He was also president of Golden Gate Baptist Seminary, where I went to school and graduated. He handed me my diploma. He also taught at Truett Seminary after he retired from First Baptist Church of Jackson. He taught preaching down there a number of years. He's one of the few preachers that I've ever seen that could preach with such ease. He could recite whole long passages of Scripture. He didn't need the Bible. He knew them by memory. He could recite long poems. Longest poem I've ever memorized was The Highwayman in the 8th grade. It was like 157 lines. And I can't remember it today. I did memorize it for the test. And I have a pretty good memory. I work on memory all the time, but I want to share with you Frank Pollard when he gets up to preach. God's Spirit is working through him, and he brings 
through his memory all the scripture he has studied through the years and it just flows out so easily. Now what if Beverly King had not encouraged him? What if his Sunday school teacher, Claude Olney, had not led him to the Lord? What if those along the way had not given him words to keep him on his feet when he felt like quitting? Where would we be today? I want to share with you, there's a lot of people came to know the Lord Jesus through the ministry of Frank Collins. And his books and his words on tape and CD are still ministering around the world so that his words are helping keep others on their feet. We can use our words for good or bad. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It depends on what's in the heart. Proverbs 10.31 says like this, The mouth of the righteous brings wisdom. The lips of the wise spread knowledge. We can encourage with our words. The tongue has the power to heal. Proverbs 15.4 says, The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. A soothing tongue is a tree of life. A man finds joy giving an apt reply and how good is a timely word. Who doesn't need a word at the right time? Have you ever needed encouragement? I want to share with you, I haven't seen anybody suffering from too much encouragement. There's a lot of people suffer from discouragement. There's a lot of people suffer from sarcasm and frustration and bad words that are said about them on the internet that should have never been posted, that are untrue. There's always a need for a word to help sustain and build up and heal and repair and lift up and inspire, firm and challenge. Can you think of someone this morning who needs a word like that? Maybe you know someone who's struggling in their day, today with life, that needs to hear an encouraging word. Every one of us here has the power to either bring good with our words or bad. And I'm not going to go through because I'm out of time. Why is God's word so important? Here's the reason. If our hearts are pure and clean before the Lord, then we're, going, we're not going to have a bunch of junk come out of our mouth. But God's word is the only thing that can help me get my life straight. You know why I know that? Because God's word says the heart is deceitfully wicked and who can know it? Only God can know it. God's the only one I know can help us know what to say and how to say it. His word has the power to help us use the gifts, the skills, the grace, the words that he gives us, whether we say them, write them, sign them, sing them, however we use them, text them, tweet them. God's word never returns to him void but accomplishes what it intends. Isaiah 55, 11 says. God's word can help us be comforted in time of loss. God's close to the brokenhearted. And he blesses those, lifts those up who are crushed in spirit. Do you know anybody who's crushed in spirit today? We're a couple of months from Thanksgiving, folks. But today we ought to be giving thanks for how God has worked in our life. And we ought to be careful how we use our words. Words heal, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these dear people. Thank you for their hearing your word, Lord. And pray by 
by your spirit today that you'd move in somebody's heart to guard their tongue. Help them to, to tell what they know that can benefit and not hurt. Help them to say, I love you to somebody that needs that in their family or a person they work with or they go to school with. Lord, and if they need to ask for forgiveness, Lord, give them the courage to do that. If they need to humble themselves and confess their sin, Lord, give them the courage to do that. And Father, I thank you for how you work in our lives when we are honest with you and allow you to work in our lives. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Our hymn of invitations, People Need the Lord. I'll be here at the front to receive you if there's a decision you'd like to make. Would you stand? People Need the Lord.